This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Lord God Almighty, King of the universe, lover of the church, and lover of our souls, we have gathered in this place to hear from heaven, to be touched by heaven, to be changed by the invasions of revelation, light, understanding, power, redemption, cleansing, restoration. God, we confess that without you we can do nothing. You are our life. You are our strength. Holy Spirit, you are our everything. And so we open our hearts wide and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and instruct us through the Word. We ask that you would lead and guide us into all truth. And that where necessary, O oh God, the Holy Spirit, would you please bring redirection, some fine-tuning and alignment that is needed in our lives, if necessary. So we receive from you tonight with hunger with expectation, and with a desire to be greatly enlarged by your work in our hearts, that we may run and not grow weary, that we would fulfill all that you have given us to do, that on that wonderful day we can say that we have run the race and we have kept the faith, and that we can enter in to eternity with joy and not with embarrassment. And so, God, here we are. Work powerfully in us, I pray. If there be disease, sickness, weakness, oh God, would you please place your nail-scarred hand upon those areas of our lives that are broken, dysfunctional, hurting. God, you are our healer. You are our redemption. You are the glory and the lifter of our heads. We desire your holy touch. We desire impartations that come from heaven that can bring your full redemption, O oh God. I thank you for authority to stand against diseases, sickness, bondages right now. And in the name of Jesus, I release the touch of God upon your body, your life, your soul, and spirit. And I give you praise, O oh God, for that which you are doing in the deep recesses of our lives, bringing holy alignment even to the very DNA of our bodies. Thank you for chains that are broken, and the freedom that comes because of the glorious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, Son of Righteousness, arise now with healing in your wings upon every life here, I pray, and we give you praise. Amen. This um, series called All In and, and Pastor Bob put it very nicely, I think, when he said, I'm a provoker to stir and to stimulate you to good works and to fulfill your holy calling that is placed upon your life. There are two laws in operation. There's the law of sin and death, and there's the law of the Spirit and life in Christ Jesus. Preaching, I flinch at myself. 
But I realize that I'm a man that has been given an assignment to speak the oracles of God and not that which is necessarily always popular or that which people want to hear. But I refuse to tickle ears and stroke egos just to get some kind of a popularity award. I want to be faithful to the call of God. And I realize that this message or this series of messages all in is very provoking. And the reason it's provoking is because I believe the church in many ways, and a broad stroke, not you personally, so don't say, well, Leon was reading our mail. You may be just where you need to be, but if not, you may be in a place that demands change tonight because you're not where you're meant to be. This message is to provoke you, to stir you, to push you, to nudge you, to become your best for God. The church needs change. We need change. I believe in many ways the church has become quite anemic. We are not operating at our full potential. There's a stagnation that has set in. People have become so busy with the things of everyday life that there's very little time for the things that will count for eternity. They're so self-consumed, so self-absorbed, that even when the Spirit of God speaks to them and directs them, they become dull of hearing. They become hardened in their hearts. And they are moved more by the opinion of people than by the Word of God. Many Christians are living with the spirit of fear, bound. And I believe that God wants to liberate us from these chains that hold us back, that we may be filled with a holy boldness, not an arrogance, but a boldness that will allow the Spirit of God to flow through us. While we are worshiping, I went to one of my most favorite parts of the Scripture. And incidentally, my most favorite parts of the Scripture is at what part I'm reading right there and then, but it's that famous part known as Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. And I was reading how they were all with one accord in one place, and I thought, that's all in. (laughs) When we can get the church, where we can get everyone in one place with one accord, with hearts that are hungry and open, watch us shake the city. But with us dysfunctional, separated, and so engaged in everything else but the things of the kingdom, when the Spirit of God moves, we're not even there to get what He's got for us. We're having to run on the word and the reputation of what's happened in someone else's story rather than what's happening in our own lives. I want to define all in for you, and the best definition I could come up with is very simple, 100%. All in means 100%. Another thing that I've noticed with the all in message is that Jesus taught to be all in. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. When Jesus walked past the disciples, He said, follow me and I will make you. And uh, He didn't say, leave your nets, leave your business, leave your family. But they immediately abandoned everything 
And I wondered about that, what provoked them in those few words, follow me, that they would abandon everything that we would count as being secure, comfortable, protected. Remember those boats and those nets were their pension. That was their retirement. That was their medical. That was their daily bread. You understand? And here comes a man that Peter and John and Andrew had spent a few hours with the night before, and he says, follow me. And in those words, follow me, there was such an abandonment that they became all in. Matthew, the tax collector, Jesus says, follow me. And he abandons his business, and he becomes all in. Now I know in the three-year period that Jesus was busy teaching them and shaping them and making them, that there came a few points where they didn't always appear to be all in, which gives me some kind of comfort because I think all of us in some stage of our life have been there or maybe will be there in the future. So I want you to catch this. Peter denies Jesus. Why? Because at that moment he was not all in. Even though his testimony is, I'm all in. I'm going to fight. I'm willing to die for you. And then when it is time to fight and die, the best he can do is hack off the ear of a man and then flee for his life, denying Jesus three times. All of them abandoned Jesus with the exception of the woman and John that stood there at the moment uh, or the darkest hour at his crucifixion. So they weren't all in, even though they were all in. And I think many Christians find themselves wanting to be all in, willing to abandon everything, and yet they get to points where the core is just apparently too strong. When Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, they couldn't pray with Him even for one hour. How many of you have ever been there? I'm going to commit to pray, and you get about through the first 10 minutes, and you're nodding off. They were there also. Uh, They wanted to be all in, but they weren't. They wanted to stand with Jesus, but they didn't. But then he comes and he restores them. (laughs) And here is my comfort and your comfort. The God who restored them in their failure and their weakness and their frailty is not yet to slap us over the head, but he wants to restore us. Hallelujah. He wants to turn us from cowards into being bold. He wants to change us from being those who are weak-kneed and prayerless to becoming powerful. And I've read the history of every apostle, with the exception of John. They all died. They all laid down their lives, gave 100%. They didn't go with an expectation to die. They went with an expectation to live. They wanted to preach. They wanted to proclaim. But in the process, they had to give their lives. Why? Because they were all in. They didn't cower at that moment. When you read Fox's Book of Martyrs and you read the story of their lives, they weren't cowering, begging for an escape. Peter was so bold at that moment, he said, don't even crucify me in the same position as Jesus. He wanted to be crucified upside down 
Why? Because he felt unworthy to be in the same position as his Savior and the lover of his soul. Do you understand that high level of commitment? He has the, he has the crunch line. <laughs> this is so radical for 2019 in a soft belly church. We want Book of Acts power. We want Book of Acts miracles. We want to shake our city. Am I right? But something's wrong. What's wrong? We don't have the spirit of the primitive church, which is the spirit of the all-in. We need change. When the mantle fell on Elisha, Elijah didn't say, now, young man, is my handbook. I'm going to give this to you together with the, with the mantle that has fallen upon your life. And yeah, the 52 steps that will bring transformation, that will make you a worthy recipient of the anointing and the call of God that I was instructed by the Spirit to bring to you. He just simply zapped him with the power of God and went on his way. Elisha had to run after Elijah. He had to go and say goodbye to that which he held sacred and secure, and he had to abandon everything. Why? Because he understood in the Spirit when the mantle of God comes upon your life, you have to be all in. You can't operate in those dimensions, half-baked and lukewarm, mediocre. It's got to be in the spirit of the all in. And you and I instinctively know, without hearing it from the lips of Leon, you've heard it from the lips of the Holy Spirit who has brought revelation to your heart at salvation. And you know this, and I know this. I am only here tonight to remind you of what you know, to stir you of what you know. This is not some brand new revelation. When you started to read the Word of God, you knew the call of God upon your life demands the Spirit of the all-in. Am I right? Is anyone here that never felt the demand of the Spirit to be all in? You can't say that. I know that. I know that as a fact. The call of God upon your life is no different to the call of God upon Peter, James, John, Matthew, and Saul on the Damascus Road. Everyone, Elisha, everyone who has come under the call of God, the anointing of God, it is demanded of them all in. Why don't you stand and give God a shout of praise? Come on, get on your feet and get the spirit of the all in. When the anointing of God comes upon your life, you must have the spirit of the all in. You may be seated. When you look at the very nature of the cross, Jesus didn't go to the cross and give half of his heart, half of his life. He laid down his life. He gave his everything. Why? Because the very nature of redemption is sacrifice. And the Word declares, even as he laid his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren or for a cause bigger than ourselves. The very nature of redemption is that you would, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. 
He was a sacrifice that died. We are a sacrifice that lives to the glory of God. But He gave 100%, and it is required of us to give 100%. We need a shift in the church. We need a shift in our lives. How many of you feel that we can't stay doing what we're doing because we're going to get, keep getting the same results. There's got to be a change. Everyone wants revival. Everyone wants a move of God. You know what revival does? It demands change. Revival demands the spirit of the all-in. People want nice meetings. They want miracles. But what they really need is that kind of revival that demands all in. Then we will shake the nation. Then we will reach the nations. Then we will see the full operations with consistency in the church and in the city and in the neighborhoods and in the nations. We will see signs, wonders, and miracles. We have a huge task at hand. We are in a generation that is so very hardened. Political correctness has dulled the ears not only of the people that are in the world, but it has dulled the ears and the hearts and the eyes of the saints of the Most High God. The task and the call of God has been so diluted that Christians excuse themselves from the holy call of heaven. Let me tell you, and I want to be very straight with this, only an all-in church, and that means all-in believers, will accomplish what's in the heart of God for this generation. <laughs> Anyone who has achieved greatness in any field, whether it be in sport, science, medicine, technology, the arts, the media, in, in, in music, anyone that has a, uh, become accomplished in any field, I'll tell you how they got there. They had gifts, they had abilities, but they were all in. I've never met anyone that is famous, that is great, whether it's in writing, whether it is in uh, their career, in sport, who doesn't give their everything and make huge sacrifices and the same in the Spirit. However, in the Spirit, you'd think, well, if you're a public ministry, it is demanded of you to be all in. The public ministry standing here tonight says, it is demanded of the least of us, the youngest of us, the weakest of us to be all in. Not just the great, those who have uh, uh, popularity, those who have prominence. It is for us who are in the background, we too must be all in. I'm glad that excited you all so much. I was quite moved not. In Revelation chapter 3, in verses 14 to 16, And to the angel of the church of the Lacedians write, these things says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. 
Leon's unpublished expanded translation says, because you were not all in, I find your lives unpalatable and distasteful. Woo! That got a rousing response. The Laodiceans were accused by the head of the church, the God of infinite grace, the God who gave them righteousness of faith. I want you to catch this. The God of grace, the God of mercy, the God who gave Himself for them that they might become the righteousness of God, says to them, your works and the condition of your heart are not what I expect. I expect more. I find where you're at distasteful. In fact, I think I'm going to bath right now. <laughs> we could say lukewarmness means that they are mediocre, halfway, not all in, average, middle of the road, indifferent, lackluster. Jesus the preeminent one, the foundation, the builder, the lover of the church and the lover of our souls, the chief and the great and the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, says to the church that he bought with his own precious blood, not with gold and silver and things that man may deem to be of great value, but something much higher, his very life. He says to the church, I find where you at unacceptable. That's quite a rebuke. I wonder if it's true to say that the modern day church, if we have a word from God right now, broad stroke, not every single one, if it wouldn't be a similar message that he would give, where you at? is not what I expected. I expected more. Do you think that would be a fair statement? How many of you think, Leon, you've been too harsh. Don't raise your hand. I'm going to come down and slap you. <laughs> you know I'm not being harsh. You know that I'm speaking by the Spirit of God tonight. You can sense it. You can feel it. You know it. I'm not standing here pointing a finger of accusation. I'm just standing here speaking the Word of God. We are not where we ought to be. God, the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God of love says, you've got to change. Why? Because where you're at, your works just are not cutting it. It's not getting done. You can't do it with a spirit of compromise and expect to see a great move, a great shift, a great change. You've got to change to bring the change. You know the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with most of your heart, with some of your heart, with a fraction of your heart. No, what does it say? You shall love the Lord your God with? With all. Someone got it right. Uh, train. Ear is inclined to the cry of those that are trained and taught. Well done. I bless you. 
you know that you cannot say to your wife, I love you with half of my heart. You cannot say to your husband, I love you with most of my heart. That just won't cut it. You can't go to your employer and say, I'm going to give you some of my effort, but most of it I need to reserve because I'm just not feeling my best today. There's a lot of pressure upon my life. You know it's not going to cut it. And if anyone has played sport at any high level, you cannot go to your coach and say, hey, I'm bringing my B game today. I'm just not quite feeling the A game. How long will you be in the squad? Come on. And some of you have served in the Army, the Marines, the Navy, the Air Force, the Coast Guard. You know that you cannot go to your uh, officer commanding. You can't even go to your, uh, your sergeant, your platoon leader, and say, hey, I'm just not feeling it today. I think I'm just going to stay behind. Let everyone else go and train. Let everyone else go and fight. I'm just going to hang back here and rest a while. How many of you know that's just not going to work? Exactly. Why should it work in the kingdom of God? Why should it work to the Lord of hosts, the leader of the armies of heaven, who demands 100%? I was thinking about the Scripture that says, bring the whole tithe or bring all the tithe to the household of God. I think many Christians live the tithing life. They give God 10% of their life and keep 90% for themselves. And the 10% that they give is not even off the top. It's off the bottom, the leftovers, the dregs. Oh, they got some ouches. Aiken, the Bible speaks about Achan, and it's very specific. Um, Joshua says to the people, but all the silver, notice that word all in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 19, but all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They, who's the they? The all shall come into the treasury of the Lord. In Joshua chapter 6 and verse 24, just a few verses down, it says, But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. They, who is they, you would assume, all the people. But then go to chapter 7 and verse 1. But the children of Israel, woo, let me say that again. But the children of Israel committed a trespass. No, it wasn't the children of Israel. It was one dude by the name of Achan, who was the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burnt against Achan. Uh, what? Where's the no? It burned against the children of Israel. You've got to catch this. 
God of love, God of mercy, God of grace, the state of one man, the disobedient state. Why? Because he was not all in. Because he took what belonged to God. He didn't give his best. He held back. God turns around and says, the children of Israel, one man, our weakest link in the body of Christ affects the state of the church. Why am I pounding the pulpit? I've become a pounding pulpit preacher. I always wanted to be nice and kind of like cool. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> but the children of Israel, I don't like that. It should read, but Achan, but I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can only read what the Word says. I don't have the right to change it. And I figured it out. I did the math. If it happened then that Achan affected the whole nation, that our compromises today affect the church. Why are we not seeing the full release of the blessing of God? Why are we not seeing the miracles the breakthroughs that we read about, the works that I do, you shall do also. I'm telling you tonight, one of the reasons we're not seeing the full release is because the people are not doing what God's told them to do, and it affects the health, the wealth, and the well-being of the church. Because the God here is the God of the New Testament as well. He wasn't mean in the Old Testament and is nice in the New Testament. He is God. The same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the Lord, and I change not. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift, and yet he turns around and he says, because of one man, you will all feel the effect of this. When Christians are not all in, their state of heart affects our state of heart, affects our state of faith, affects our vision, affects our momentum. It affects how we are going to function because without those parts, we are somewhat depleted. We need everyone in the church to be all in. All in Christians let me tell you, if the whole family of God related to this church, we're all in. I'm going to tell you, there'd be such a groundswell of momentum. There'd be not room enough to contain it. There would be such high levels of faith and operations of the Spirit, but we are feeling the impact of those who are not all in. And I say it to those here, and I say it to those watching in your homes. And I know not everyone could get you tonight. I'm not trying to put a heavy trip on you. I'm just putting a heavy trip on you. 
I'm not trying. I just do it. It comes naturally. I don't have to like work at it. Put it in my notes. Leon, be mean to those who aren't here tonight. Put a heavy on them. I'm not putting a heavy on anyone. I'm just painting a broad stroke picture. But if we could get everyone to be all in, and I know it's possible. Why? Because I've been in meetings when they all met with one place, with one accord, and there came a sound from heaven. I have been in that atmosphere. And there's a big difference when we are all, all in, and when some are all in. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The air becomes static with possibility, with the miraculous, with the spirit of breakthrough. Why? Because when we draw near to God, He draws near to us. And the measure that we use is measured back to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It becomes uh, exponential in its possibilities when we are all, all in. I should put that in my notes. When we are all, comma, all in. All in people will serve diligently and passionately and faithfully. All in people will attend faithfully. All in people will worship with abandonment. All in people will give generously and sacrificially. All in people will be engaged in mountain-moving intercession, life-changing intercession and supplication. All in people will reach the lost at any cost. And so we'll see the grace of God move powerfully in our midst. Achan caused great damage to the reputation of Israel. And they suffered the consequences. They were humiliated, and some died. And they didn't have to die, but because of his disobedience, because of his compromise, because of his heart that was not all in, it affected the state of all of Israel. King Saul started out really good, but there came a point in time when he was not all in. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 3, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them but kill both man, woman, infant and life, child, oxen, sheep, camel and donkey. What happens? Saul kept the king alive and the best for themselves. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verses 8 and 9, he also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. But what was meant to happen? He was meant to utterly destroy him. But because King Saul somehow started to operate out of logic, ego, whatever got into him, which caused the all-in to be diluted to some in, because he did some of the stuff, but not all of the stuff. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people. But Saul and the people spared Agag. Whoa! I thought it was just Saul. What happens when one person is not all in? It has this pebble effect. In the pond, it starts to affect others. The state of his heart became contagious with compromise, 
And compromise started to get on the people. Why? Because as the leaders go, so go the people. And Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and all that was good. In other words, hey, let's keep the best for us, and let's give the dregs to God. And they were unwilling to destroy them. But everything despised, worthless, they utterly destroyed. Therein lies the heart of those who are not all in. They keep the best for themselves and give God the leftovers. Church of America, that's you. Church of America, that's you. Broad stroke, not everyone, thank God. Just like in the day of Elijah, not everyone has bowed their knee. Thank God. Not everyone has sold their soul. But some have. They've become fickle, moody. And they're more concerned about their feelings than about worshiping God and following God and doing all of God's will. They do some of it. And they give some of it. And they accommodate some of it, but not all of it. And as a result, we today feel the consequence. We feel the effects, the negative effects. It has a pebble effect in the pond. It gets to us. The contagious state of their heart starts to get on us. Yeah, were the consequences of Saul's sin of partiality and the people. God regretted making Saul king. God rejected King Saul. His kingdom was taken away from him. Partiality has a negative effect upon us and, uh, uh, as the church, but it also has consequences upon our lives. Here are some symptoms found in Christians who partially serve God. They don't necessarily engage in what is evil, but they're also not engaged in what is good and right. They're not necessarily committing evil, but on the other hand, they're not doing what is beneficial to the state of the church. Their lack of passion for the things of God, their indifference concerning the gospel, their prayerless lives, their stingy lives, has an effect upon the state of the church. And we would be far more advanced if everyone was all in. But we're not. And we need change. The Mount Carmel challenge, 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. Elijah stands on the mountain and he comes to all the people and he says to them, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. Well, it sounds like this church tonight. <laughs> Leon, get yourself together. Focus, boy, focus. But the prophet Elijah, he confronted the people. He said, you have to be all in. You either you've got to be all in for God, or you've got to be all in for Baal. 
You can't be half in and half in. You've got to choose. For pastors, this freaks them out. If you want to live for the world, go live for the world. Because you better enjoy it while you've got it. But if you want to live for God, then you better live for God. You can't live in both realms. Come out from amongst them. Be a whole own fitful. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. You don't fit in. You don't fit in there, and you're not fitting in here. You're either going to have to change to fit in here, or you're going to have to change to fit in there. But you can't live in this gray zone, in this what you think is a neutral zone. There is no neutrality. You can't serve two masters. Jesus himself, red letter edition. The God who answers by fire for Elijah will answer by fire in our day as well. He's the same God. There is a fire that is coming of separation, of sanctification, of purity. It's demands of us to pick a side. You can't live in the world and be of the world and be in the kingdom. When you're saved, the very nature of salvation is that you are taken out of one kingdom and placed in another. Your citizenship is in heaven. You're a new creation. What used to be important has lost its attraction. Now what is important is the things of God. Am I right? All in means (laughs) to be all out. I want to talk about biblical separation and sanctification for a few minutes. I have about six minutes to try and wrap this up for you. And then come in for a fast landing. 1 Corinthians 1, in verses 1 and 3. Paul called to be an apostle. I want to tell you something. You're just as called as Paul. You may not be called to be an apostle, but you call. I want you to say it. I'm called of God. Notice he is called to not only be an apostle through the will of God, but he's called to be a part of the church of God. And uh, and I see uh, he writes to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So here is a called man saying to the church, be sanctified, and you are called to be saints. To be called, yeah, we have two addresses. There is a geographic address, the church at Corinth, and there is a spiritual address in Christ Jesus. You may be in a geographical location, but you are in Christ. When you are in Christ, you're out of the world. (laughs) When you're in Christ and you're meant to be all in, then it means to be all out. To be a saint or to be sanctified means to be set apart by God, for God. 
set apart by God for God. Everything that was used by God had to be sprinkled. It had to be sprinkled with blood and with oil, Exodus 29, 21. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron, type of separation to the ministry, and on his garments and on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed, and his sons and his garments with him. So the blood separates us from sin, and the oil separates us for service. So we are separated from, and we are separated to. We are separated from sin, and we are separated to the call of God. How many of you still use pens? Most of you are now digital. You speak in thumbs. When you write with your pen, your pen becomes sanctified for the use of writing. When you put on your eyeglasses, well, they can't be ear glasses, but they become separated for seeing. You understand? So when you are called of God, there is purpose. You are not made for something else. You are made for that purpose, you are created in Christ Jesus to be used as a vessel, sanctified for that purpose. Everyone has an anointing. Everyone has a calling. And you cannot fulfill your calling, your ministry, your anointing by dabbling in both the world and the kingdom. You've got to come out from amongst them. And when you come out from amongst them, you'll find your ministry starting to gain traction, momentum, and you'll start to see fruitfulness. <laughs> I don't cutting this short because I don't have much time left. James chapter 4. I don't like this, but I'm going to read it. Verses 4, and I'll stop at some point. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that your friendship with the world now, listen, I need to qualify this. It doesn't mean that you can't have friends in the world, but you can't be a friend of the world. To be a friend in the Greek means to kiss, to have a level of intimacy, closeness, attachment, fondness. You can't kiss the world and be a lover of God. He says... It is the same as committing adultery. That's rather heavy language, again, from the God of grace, mercy, and infinite love. Why? Because He expects those who are His followers, lovers, to be sanctified, just like when we take on our marriage vows, we say, I do, and that means we don't anymore. There's a lot of things when we say we do that we don't do anymore. And the same when we take on the covenant vows of bringing our lives to Jesus to be Savior, to be Lord, to be King. When we say I do to Him, we no longer do with the world. 
when we go back to the world, he calls it adultery. And he goes on and it gets worse and he says, friendship with the world makes you at war with God. Let me tell you something. My theology is real simple. Leon small, God big. Leon will lose every time, God will win every time. You cannot win, you cannot beat God. He is God, creator. You don't want to be, I bind you in Jesus' name. James, writing by the Holy Spirit, this isn't just James having a bad hair day. Though when I read James, man, he had an attitude. (laughs) But I love him because God loves him. And he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it is no different here to John 3.16. This is the Word of God. We all love John 3.16. We better love and put value to James 4.4. And he says, he says to them, don't you know that friendship with the world? He says, by this time you should have come to an understanding. You should have a, a very clear understanding and knowledge that you can't be a friend with the world system and conduct yourself like them, and Paul obviously qualifies that when he says, do not be conformed to this world. Listen, I love nature, lions and dung beetles. They're both beautiful in the environment, the birds, the fish, even the serpents. I don't mind. They're beautiful. I love the nature. He's not speaking about hating nature and abusing the earth. I think we should take ecological responsibility and tend to the earth, the first commission given to man. He's not saying hate the world. He's saying, yeah, don't be a part of the world's value system that is in direct violation against the Word of God. And you just have to read popular opinion today to know that the way the world thinks and the way the Word of God says is two different dimensions. And I know that that is going to pass away and this is going to abide forever. So if you want to be smart, separate yourself from that. Don't let that be a voice of intimidation to you. Allow this to become your word, your motive, your desires, your dream and place your full attention on this. I've got to close. Do you remember when you first believed? Often go there. Come how you loved the Word. And then if you allow yourself to become attracted to the world, things you never watched, you start to watch. Words you didn't dare say, you start to say. Attitudes that you used to have that you put behind you, you start to, start to be reawakened. It doesn't always happen overnight, 
But if you're not in the Word, and if you're not in prayer, and if you're not in the Spirit, and if you're not in church, what will happen is those pressures will start to erode against kingdom, culture, value, and attitude, and you will start to make compromises. And James, writing by the Spirit, says, you've become an adulterer. And then he gives you a way out. Thank God there's always a way out. And I'm going to close with this. He says, if you will submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee from you. In other words, get back to God. Submit yourself to his lordship. Humble yourself under his mighty hand. And draw near to God, and he will again draw near to you. And he will, as you cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, you're not all in. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and, let, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. There's got to be repentance. There's got to be a turning away from and a turning back to that which you once held as the most important. And then you will see that God will again draw near to you. And what happened and what was happening that eroded and disappeared will come back into your life and back into your ministry. Let's stand and let's close in prayer. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world, the world system, or the things of the world. Those things cannot satisfy you. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lusts of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. We're told to seek first the kingdom of God, to make that our highest priority. All in people make the things of the kingdom their highest priority. God's calling for a shift, for a change. We've got to get back to being all in. <sighs> Hallelujah. We are living in a day of great immorality in the world. It's not meant to be in the church. Now listen, you can have friends who are unsaved, if we separate ourselves from them, we'll never reach them. <laughs> you understand? But don't attach yourself to Christians and have close fellowship with people that are not living for God. You have to separate yourself from them. Why? Because they will have a negative effect and start to pull you down. Their words and their opinions will start to erode the values that you count dear. Why? Because they're operating from their guilt, from their sense of disappointment in their self, and they'll want to attach that on you. And they'll start to challenge things that you hold dear. Why? Because if they can get you to be a part of them, it takes the pressure off them. Too many Christians are attaching themselves to backslidden Christians. 
And instead of ministering to them and confronting them, we let them speak to us with their offense, with their pain, with their disappointment, and they rode at your confidence in the church, the leaders in the church, the anointing, and they'll pull you away, and they'll start to say, hey, you can do what I'm doing. It's okay. God is gracious. God is merciful, and He is. But that doesn't give you license to go and do those things. Separate yourself from them and be a holy people and serve God and watch the impact of your life as you reach the lost, as you disciple and equip those that you've reached and help grow the church. Go do what Reinhard Bonnke says, plunder hell. Get something that is in your heart that will affect the state of this generation. Get something bigger than yourself. Get something bigger than entertaining yourself every night with sports and activities. Start to focus on the things of the Spirit. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in the Word. Start to get back to the things of God and get back to church and start to give and start to worship and start to press in and watch God start to bring a shift. People think God has given up on the church. He loves the church. He longs for the church to be the church. The Bible says not only does God long for that, but let me tell you this, that even creation longs for us as what we're meant to be. All of creation is groaning, standing on tiptoe, waiting for the church to be the church and for us to be the salt and the light and to operate in the full power of God. They long for that. The world's waiting for the church to be the church. Hallelujah. I've got to close. You're standing. It's one of the things you can learn, Pastor Rob. If you come to the end of your time, get people to stand. They get this false hope that you're actually going to close. He's a preacher's secrets 101. Okay. Yay, we're going to close. And then suddenly you preach like another half hour. You can get away with it if you get them standing. If you keep them sitting, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But you give them a spark of hope that you're actually going to close. And then you disappoint them by keep preaching. <laughs> I love you guys. You know that. I love this church. I'm not uh, a preacher with a mission, a bad attitude. I love the church. I believe in the church. I long for the church to walk into the full potential and possibility. And I want to stir you. I want to stir those at home. I want to press you to be your best for God. Let, Let God arise. His enemies be scattered. Let God arise in His church. As we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. As we turn from our wicked ways, He will cleanse us and forgive us and restore us and revive us and touch us and heal us. Hallelujah. His power has not been diminished one iota. He's the same God that parted the Red Sea, that they walked on dry land. He will make a way for you. He's the God that said, let there be, and darkness fled. The God of light will enter the darkness around your life and bring order and bring uh, the, the creation purpose of God. 
health and peace and strength and righteousness and fill you with vision and hope. Lord God, please tonight, not only in this place, but all who would hear this message through technology, let their lives, O oh God, be challenged deeply in the Word and in the Spirit with a deep conviction, O oh God. Please, if there be compromise, the Aiken attitude, the King Saul attitude, the Mount Carmel attitude, God, may people tonight make a decision, I pray, to be wholly yours, to be holy, separating from the world to the to this of God, to their ministry, to their calling, to their anointing, to their vision, to their faith, to that which you've purposed even before the foundation of the earth that they should walk in. God, would you please do it in each one of our lives? Touch us, fill us, change us, heal us, mold us, make us. God, cleanse us, I pray, from any defilement of the flesh. God, we don't want that stench to be upon our garments. We want, oh God, the fragrance of life, the aroma of life to emanate through us to our world. God, may we represent you well as ambassadors and carry your glory with great confidence and boldness and faith. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to lay hands on people that would like ministry, but um, I know some of you have responsibilities and obligation, so no guilt. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.